It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End to do a deeper dive into the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. With me is my co-host. His name is Bill Sutton, and he is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Hey, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you. And we have a great panel this week. As always, we have Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. We have Christopher Gangemi, who is the staff writer at the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chris. Good morning. Hello. Good to see you. And we have Brian Cosgrove, who is the host of the Afternoon Ramble right here at WLIWFM. Hey, Brian. Good morning. So, first topic never gets old. People always talk about the weather and nobody ever does anything to change it. And it's true about traffic too, except people are trying to change it, but we've got to talk about traffic. I, 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 you know, I don't think it's new. I don't think it's anything uh, that, that surprises anybody, but man, it's bad out there. And, and we were talking, Brian, you got stuck in the massive traffic jam on Thursday night that resulted from an accident uh, that happened right around the college, right? You ended up stranded at the office for a few hours. I did, yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to talk about traffic or complain about traffic. <laughs> Same thing. Same <laughs> I think thing. I'm going to. I think I'm going to do a little bit of both. But uh, yeah, I mean, not only uh, you know have we seen, especially in the last few years, it seems to be worse than ever, just in general. But unfortunately. There was a serious accident, as you guys know, Thursday night up on 39. So they defer it down to uh, to Hill Street. And uh, when that happens, I'm pretty much dead in the water. You know, I it doesn't make I might as well stay at work and, you know, do stuff that, you know, I trying to avoid doing until the next day, you know, so I can sit and wait. And uh, so I was telling you guys before we went on, I uh, so Thursday when this terrible Accident happened up on 39. They had to close it off at about 4.15. I came out of the, the studio not knowing any of this at 5.30. The, the studio's in Southampton Village, we should say. Right on Hill Street, right. Right on Hill Street. I came out not knowing, and I, you know, and I, the first thing I do when I'm about ready to leave is I look over at Hill Street and see if it's bumper to bumper. And it, at, at 5.30, it usually is. But when I step out and look down west, and I see it's not moving. And then I check the news and I go to you guys, 27 East, and you guys had it up. 39 closed due to an accident. And I knew that I was done. And I was uh, so I stayed in the office until eight o'clock and it was still bumper to bumper. And I ventured out and I sat in traffic for a while, but I eventually made it home. One thing I just want to mention is that so I'm in the office and I guess around seven, seven fifteen. A couple of folks, real nice folks came by and knocked on the door. And so, you know, I'm sitting there waiting for the traffic. It's always nice to see people. So I opened the door and she says, um, what's going on with the traffic? And I said, I don't know. And she said, <laughs> she said, I, I, something along those lines. I wasn't, I was said hi. And, and then and I, she, goes, she said to me, but this is a radio station. Don't you know? <laughs> and I said, well, this is, this is the, I said, this is the east end of Long Island. I might have said Hamptons, which I don't usually do. I said, but this is the Hamptons in July. Yeah. So I know that there's an accident. First of all, that you know, we all know that this is the Hamptons in July. But there was an I said, I know there's an accident on 39 and they defer the traffic down here. And they were like, you know, they were they were kind of rough on me a little bit that I didn't know what was going on. But uh anyway. It's, it's you know what? There's there's just two levels. Just, just give them my number next time, Brian. I'll, I'll talk to them. <laughs> well, I'm done now, Bill, because I'm going <laughs> to. There's two, there's two levels of this. One is just we can grouse about the overall traffic, which you know is just a matter of volume. There's just so much volume. But I want to talk for a second about these accidents that occur on County Road 39 particularly. And when they happen at certain times of the day, it's remarkable the ripple effect that they have because within 15 minutes, Chris, I wouldn't be surprised if you weren't seeing traffic back up in East Hampton. It just like when, when County road 39 is closed for any period of time, 
or even constricted for any period of time, the ripple effects on the entire South Fork are just stunning. It really creates gridlock in Southampton Village where nothing, you know, what you were describing, Brian, I've, I've been in it, nothing moves. It, it's, right. you know, it's so slow. Um, I wonder what needs to be done. And, and I don't know if there's anything that can be done, but I'd like to throw out one proposal, which is going to get me a lot of hate mail. But um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out anyway. I think it may be time to rethink the speed limit on County Road 39 and rethink the, the enforcement of that speed limit. I mean, the speed limit on County Road 39 now, for all intents and purposes, is about 50 or 55 as far mm -hmm. as how it's enforced. And I think that leads to the kind of more serious accidents and, and the, the things that happen like at the intersection at the college. And I, I think that the only way, since we can't do much when there is a major accident, the only thing we can do is try and restrict the number of major accidents we see. And I wonder so if you're, maybe you're talking about trying to bring the speed down. I am. I'm talking about bringing it down to it was 35 for a long time and it may still be posted. I think it's posted. I think it's 45. Um, I think but, they changed it to 45 a couple but, of but years nobody, ago. Nobody goes 45. But no, I, but I would argue that that during during the commute, during the trade parade, nobody's going much past 25 anyway. So True. I don't know how you slow it down from that point. I mean, maybe there's a way to get traffic to move, you know, to to limit, you know, the the turns and people coming in off the side roads and and all that. And I think they tried to do a little of that. I think that can be an issue, so that it's just kind of a straightaway and people can just keep moving. I think you see some of the bottlenecks around some of the lights, and you know. And, um, do you have you know, adequate yeah. turning lanes on 39? Are there like I obviously drive on it, but I don't pay that like attention to that. There like, is a turning lane, but it doesn't get used all the time. I've noticed that that some people. What about who are right turns? turns? Do you have like turning lanes for right turns? No and shoulders no. on the road. No, I don't because believe, it, and there's I, no shoulders. I think the same thing got done by the county, right? It's a county road. Yeah. Um, in on that road as on Route 58 in Riverhead. Um, and this was um, during the Levy administration. They they pretty much did the widening of Route 58 kind of on the cheap. And I think it was this was done in, around the same time where the lanes are like 11 feet wide instead of 13. So we couldn't get federal funds for that. But he tried to like, oh, he I mean, they they they, they widened the road within the, its existing sort of footprint, as you if you will. And so they eliminated shoulders. They eliminated uh, right turn lanes. We mostly don't have any cutouts or whatever they're called for buses to pull in for, at the bus stops. They stop in the lane to pick up people from the bus stops. If, yeah. if you look to make, I don't know what kind of accidents happen most on 39, but like if you if you um, are if you need to slow down to make a right hand turn from Route 58. There's no turning lane anymore, so and mm. no shoulder, so that the person who is ignoring the 35 mile an hour posted speed limit and going 60 or 50 miles an hour while texting, you know, comes okay. running up your backside, and and you know, it's it's scary, kind of. I mean, like you know, no. that's that a lot of that kind of thing happens on Route 58, and I wonder if that's kind of a similar because I've heard that it was kind of done the same way on County Road 39. They, they did. They, they they did, and I think it was under Levy's administration that they did make some of those changes. And they actually they added a, an, an eastbound lane at at one point that kind of eased the morning traffic. It actually worked for for a couple of years, um, but it's just it's just kind of tied up now. The accident on Thursday, I, I don't have details, but I know it involved a, a motorcycle, and mm -hmm. and I think that. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I don't know what happened, but I think sometimes you see people try to avoid the traffic with motorcycles by, you know, going in and out of in and out of traffic and, um, you know, kind of swerving around and stuff. And I think that can be very dangerous. Um, I, I think, you know, also the issue is if there's I, I don't know it was a fatality. I know Brian heard that it was a fatality Thursday night. We'll find out. 
Um, but but I know part of the problem is is that when there's a fatality, when there's a fatal accident, um, the police are required to shut the road down. Well, the county comes in and does, a, you know, an investigation and they have to map the whole thing out and that can take hours at a time. Um, and, yeah. and I think that, um, that that maybe that whole process needs to be looked at a little bit. I think, you know, maybe there's there's advances in technology that would make that um, required to be less of a, of a time frame because I mean, when you're when you've got County Road, when you've got either County Road 39 or Montauk Highway closed for hours at a time during a commute, there, there's Some just I mean, the, it just it's a parking lot. There's just nowhere for for the volume to go. I mean, and and that's what what Brian saw on Thursday is his traffic's just completely stopped. Yeah. Can I um, risk throwing an idea that's absolutely not thought out? That just popped into my head. Sure, I did. Well, because I, I I know we're focused on east-west traffic right now, but last night, for example, right around four o'clock, I I said to my daughter, "Hey, let's go get, let's it's summer, it's humid, let's go get some produce." So I wanted to drive from Sag Harbor to East Hampton to go to the Share the Harvest farm stand. As I was driving south on 114, there were so many cars. It extended from sag harbor village to the ross school and i mm -hmm. turned around at that point went down the airport road and ended up going to pike's farm stand well then this week in our paper and i think you guys might have discussed this too we have we have uh, an article about congestion pricing in new york city mm. now there's so much work being done out here and a lot of these guys are coming west and i don't want to just blame it on on the the trade parade or the contractor crawl but what if there was i mean some kind of charge or you know toll almost for coming and coming east because there are you know if if you don't have that amount of vehicles or guys driving in one one uh one person to a car to come work on a house you know, you, you know, you could cut a good percentage. I think the reason why it's not getting better is because there's simply too many cars for our roads, north, south, east, west. And something has to be done to either cut that or make money off of it so that we could build the infrastructure that we need. You know, it's you know? In, and Chris, the, the thing about it is whether that's a good idea or not, we do have the setup to make it easy because there are only two ways over the Shinnecock <laughs> Canal, and you could very easily set up a system where where you're charging congestion pricing uh, using an Easy Pass, something like that. Um, right. It's it's not. Jay, I mean, look, Jay Schneiderman, Southampton supervisor, has has kind of mused uh, about that. Um, you know, before I think he was talking about it last year. That you know, I, I don't think he came out with with any kind of proposal, but. But said he might be in favor of that type of thing that that you could you could easily do that with with the way the license plate readers are now you don't need toll booths i mean you just need something electronic you know over a sign that that's reading license plates and stuff and and could send a could send a toll um i, I don't know i mean they've talked about tolls for for years and years and and, and i don't that could be part of the solution you know alternatively another quick if you don't want to put it on the on the guys coming out here to work if you're if you're if your site plan on your house is uh is going to be a, a year-long project i mean you can probably deduce the amount of traffic that that's creating from just the mm -hmm. site plan and mm -hmm. perhaps instead put that charge on somebody who is you know uh feels the need to tear down their house that was built in mm -hmm. 2009 and build a whole new one, you know, and charge them instead. There's got to be some way to, you know, do this with economics. I think that I I I, I don't disagree. I, I think though that that when we talk about the trade the trade parade, we're we're not just talking about um, you know new new home construction anymore. I think that's what it used to be, but now, and I don't want to turn this conversation to affordable housing. 
But, you know, the huge part of the trade parade is just all the service workers that are that are right. coming east every day that, you know, landscapers and house cleaning and, um, you know, people right. working at the delis and and, and, and all that and and, and, and all right. that. I mean, and that's that's the true trade parade. And do you want to do you want to penalize <coughs> people that can't afford to work? For, can't afford to live on the east end for coming out to work you're just going to make the you know you're going to make the um the whole employment situation worse and worse I, I i guess i i don't you know i mean do you want to charge people a toll to to come from you know manorville or points west to come work their you know their 15 dollars an hour deli job i mean but to be clear i think you can use the toll an idea of a toll to discourage people commuting at certain times of day. Yeah. And, and that might change the, the, the whole scheduling of, you know, because I know that I've, I've spoken to, to folks who run various businesses on the South Fork and they've already made those adjustments. They've changed shift times so that people can come in earlier or later to try and miss the trade parade in the mornings. And so, I mean, I think that's already happening, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also sort of intrigued by the fact that a few years ago, we used to talk about shortcuts. Um, oh. And of course, there was a there was a famous everybody was upset because uh, there was a book that came out that showed Jody shortcuts, shortcuts, right? Jody mm-hmm. shortcuts on the uh, and, and now even those roads are short, you know, bumper to bumper. And, and yeah. I'm always amazed when I have to make the trip from Sag Harbor back to Hampton Bay's at the wrong time, how Noyak Road can back up for mm. miles, yeah. miles and miles. Um, yeah. it, 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 and I mean, look, I think some of this is just we're, we're shouting into the wind. What are you going to do? It's just number of people. Well, it's, you know, we knew it was going to be a busy summer. There, there's there's got to yeah. be some stuff that they can do. And, and you know, not for nothing, how attractive is is the South Fork is the quote i'm doing air quotes for the people on the on the radio how attractive is the hamptons to to people if if they come out and they're stuck in a three-hour gridlock i mean trying to go to to you know to to to, to go to a restaurant or, or whatever and they can't move you know 10 feet i mean you're going to lose you, well, it you seems know. That, you know but it seems like so many people just are happy to sit on their phone whether they're in the car or on the beach or that's all they do is look at their phone. So they'll do it in the car and they'll, you know, <laughs> well, so that's why God made helicopters. Well, just, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, you know, I don't, and, and, I don't like to, I don't like to sound old, but I am getting there. And, you know, it was, I, I saw it, you know, I heard something years ago when it was like when the, the family was taking a trip back in like the sixties and seventies and uh, as opposed to now, and like the dad said, you know, back in my day, the only entertainment we had was looking out the window. Uh, now, you know, I look into these SUVs and people have, you know, iPads and it's almost like a big screen TV for the kids. And yeah. I mean, it's like a whole entertainment center going on. It's a in home there. theater. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, and I, I just wanted to point out, Joe, I mean, you said, you know, can anything be done? They did try some things last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Southampton village tried some, some things they were re- return, um, restricting, turning off certain side roads on the, on the Montauk highway and still, uh, still in place. Some of that are, is still in place. Some of it is still in place. Some yeah. of it's still in place. Some of it isn't because they had neighbors that were complaining. Why should my trap, you know, if you take traffic off one road, you push it to another. But you also had the town doing, you know, blinking light programs, and they're still doing the one at Canoe Place Road in Hampton Bays, which I was against in the beginning, but um, has found, I think, is is very yeah. helpful. But they decided not to not to continue with some of the blinking light programs on on County Road 39 and and in other spaces because I think it was just too costly to you know in, in man hours because you need police officers at, at those spots. So I, I don't feel like like they're doing as much this year as they were trying to do last year, where I, I thought you saw some results last year. It was a little bit better. You know, to Chris's point, if you had a fee structure in some some regard, that's what you could use the money for is now you can afford the manpower to have the traffic management. And I'm, I'm beginning to think that the traffic is reaching an ex- existential 
concern that, yeah. as you yeah. said, people are going to stop finding this area so attractive if this is this is reality every day. Uh, well, I think it, and, it and may people, be and people aren't going to accept jo- people aren't going to accept jobs at the hospital, and people mm-hmm. aren't going to accept jobs at restaurants out here unless they're paid, right. you know, a, a huge amount of money. Because who wants to fight that traffic every that day? Kind of commute, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, I was guilty. I was guilty of, uh, and I don't do this anymore. I take Hill Street all the time, back and forth to the station. But Thursday night at eight o'clock, when there was still bumper to bumper, uh, I I took that the road south. I you know I I went up to take the road that runs parallel to Hill Street, so you can yeah. come out on Lee. And for the, the first, and I usually don't do this anymore. I haven't done it for a couple of years. I just deal with Hill Street, but I did it. And that that road that runs south of Hill and runs parallel, I went all the way down to Lee. And for the first time ever since I've been out here, the traffic backed up on Lee was all the way to that street. Yeah, it was bumper to bumper. As soon as I made the right onto Lee, there was a car there. Yep, I never saw that before. There's, well, there's everybody's no got Waze apps telling them and Google Maps That's and things telling them where to go. Factor. Like there's no such yeah. thing as a local side right. cut. Uh, Shortcut that nobody don't know that everybody's got that on board. Chris, I mean, did we talk about infrastructure? You because you have Chris, you had that idea about you know congestion or some kind of congestion pricing to improve infrastructure. Like, I feel like it all boils down to one big fat expensive infrastructure problem, right? Like, inadequate roadways and. But I just thought another idea while we're talking here, you know, we talked about the South Fork commuter connection, you know, Mm -hmm. and I read an article last night about e-bikes in New York City and how, you know, uh, city bike is now, you know, some percentage of those are now e-bikes. What if you, you know, if if you had the South Fork uh, commuter connection coming in and then you had e-bikes available for people? I mean, I know they're also controversial right now because they're a little bit, uh, you know, a little wild west with the law. And how they well, as long as they don't catch on fire, they're okay in my book. <laughs> exactly. Right to get back to our early discussion, but the thing is, things like that. I think you could, you know, bring people in from uh, on the train and then disperse them via, you know, e-bike. If there's just that one person sitting in a car, you get them off the road, get them into an e-bike. Yeah. You know, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. It could be. I, um, I, I think South Fork commuter connection will, will be. Um, a big solution to the problem, but I, I think you need to get the the Long Island Railroad um, and, and the MTA to to kind of you know step it in into higher gear to get the um, to get I forget what you call them the offshoots on so the you know on the, the scoot trains the, the, oh, yeah, exactly. oh the yeah I mean, the, pro- the problem is, is you've siding. only got one sidings you only have one rail so you can't run you know you can't run the shuttles too often i think if if they if you could get a shuttle for if you could get a, a you know a, a train from say <clears throat> you know points west of west hampton patchogue or, or whatever you know running every 15 you know minutes or, or every half an hour to all the different hamlets on the south fork i think and 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 have it running you know longer hours because i think that was part of the problem too is people would take the train out and you know, if they weren't working an eight-hour day, they couldn't get the train back. So, I mean, you, you need to work on scheduling and stuff. But I think absolutely, people would um, would um, would would utilize that if if it was available more and, and more often. And, and you're right, Chris. You've got to get them from from the train station to work. But you know what? That's why you've got Ubers and, and stuff too, and they've got the shuttle buses. And you know, you can you can work all that out. But you got to get people out here. We should give the last word to Denise because uh, the show airs on Sundays and Saturdays both. And the folks who are listening on Saturday may be listening in their car, right, up around Riverhead. This isn't just a South Fork issue. Uh, there's going to be a big road closure on Saturday up your well, way. We have, we have, yeah, we have an extra special gift in, tra- in traffic <laughs> this weekend um, because uh, a big chunk of Route 58 is going to be closed down for a parade on uh, fire departments from all over Southern County coming to celebrate the 150th uh, uh, anniversary of the motorized drill, something or not, I don't know. (laughs) There's like a big drill, a big drill tournament at the Riverhead uh, uh, 
training grounds, the, the, which is uh, off of Route 58 um, next to the uh, former armory. And um, so from Mill Road to um, the traffic circle on Route 58 from about 9.30 to about 12.30 um, on Saturday, um, it's, the road will be closed for the parade. So mm. um, they're going to be diverting traffic south and north on Mill Road. Right. And then they're going to be diverting traffic, uh, also part of Roanoke Avenue, south of the circle, to Pulaski Street is also going to be closed to tra- all but local traffic. That's where they are going to be lining up. So it's going to be like a big, fat mess. Um, they did this well, one before. 58 on is and after, after 4th of July. Well, 58 they, they, is they, just always so busy it's always, Saturday It's morning. always kind of a mess anyway. And so bumper they, bumper. they did this once before. On a, on um, it was a Sunday, I believe, and 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 it was the another big fire department parade. It was the first time there was ever a parade on Route 58, according to people, officials, and stuff at that time. Uh, so this will mark the second. But that parade was it, done in the evening to avoid this. They did it after the drill, I guess, and um, which is a big competition. It's a lot of fun if you've never been to one of those. It's fun to watch um, them compete. But but anyway. Uh, so it's going to be uh, interesting, but you know that that makes matters worse. It's not the only source of traffic because we have an awful lot of people who either couldn't afford to buy on the South Fork or rent there, or didn't want to deal with the congestion there, um, and preferred the more laid back, quieter you know lifestyle of the North Fork, which no longer exists <laughs> because they all came over here. Uh, or, you know, there's a lot well, of people not for who sought refuge here during the pandemic also. On, so. on, on Saturday mornings, you've got so many people from the South Fork coming up to Route 58 to get to Costco that, uh, well, yeah, that it's Costco, just it's BJ's, a mess anyway. Walmart, you know, we've I'm, got all that. You know, I'm pointing at you, Joe Shaw. Center, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. But I mean, yeah. like, you know, we've got between that and all of the farm stands and the agritainment and, mm. and whatnot on, on Sound Avenue every single every single weekend from now till, you know, Thanksgiving, um, they draw a lot of people. Um, and, and you know, it's good, and it, but it's it's got its downsides because people can't get around. I mean, we've had, in you know, the ambulance, ambulance folks and fire departments complain that they can't mm-hmm. respond to calls because of the traffic. So, yep. you know, and, and then we we have the Southampton Fire District talking about opening a new fire station in Watermill in a residential neighborhood, which has got some people upset. But the reason is they're having trouble getting crews together because of traffic. And uh, when they need to get a crew out to the Watermill area, it'll be easier to do if they have a new fire station. So it, it's uh it's a ripple effect that's affecting everybody's lives. That's why it's taken up so much of our time here. I'll just point out, it could be worse. In 2026, we have the U.S. Open coming right. to Shinnecock Hills. It could be, it will be worse. <laughs> and in 2027, uh, the plan right now is for Suffolk County to replace a railroad bridge over Montauk Highway, which is going to potentially close Montauk Highway for six months. What? So uh, this could be the golden days. <laughs> Boys and girls, we could be looking back on these days as the the happy period. So. This is just a dry run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Get those sailboats ready. <laughs> this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Dennis, Dennis, Denise Civiletti. Hey, whatever, gender fluidity. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Christopher Ganjemi of the East Hampton Star and Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM. So let's talk sharks, Christopher Ganjemi. We we had a couple of sharks. Uh, I had heard of the incidents that happened to our west and and they sort of worked their way out there was one on fire island and then we finally did have one in clogged waters this week where uh they believe someone may have gotten bitten by a baby shark so we were talking about this this is actually (laughs) i mean i guess it's not what you want to hear in the middle of july uh, as everybody's here and in the waters but I mean, it's a it's a sign of of a strong shark population, I think, and and it shows that that some of the conservation efforts are are I, I think that's the main reason it's happening, right? Mm. 
Um, well, I don't know exactly what's going on with shark population, so I can't can't speak to that. But I I think that it, just in general, if you talk about the beaches you know, over the July Fourth weekend, I they the poor lifeguards had to deal with this you know shark fear because it was west of us, but. There were dolphins out by us and um you know i did hear that they sent the drones out a few times you know east hampton village now has a has a drone for their lifeguards they sent them out looking up and they confirmed no they're just dolphins but if you're in the water and you see a fin mm. you're not like mm, is that a dolphin no you're just like i'm getting the heck out of here so you know it's just kind of created this this paranoia and then you had the portuguese man of wars washing up from ditch planes all the way to, to points west and then mm. rip currents you know and then the rip currents so i mean mm. you know it was kind of like uh you know i i think that the life uh, i'm not i don't know the exact stat but but in 2021 it was a very busy year for lifeguards and in the weekend of july 4th i think they did about two-thirds of the work that they did in 2021 in just that weekend wow. in terms wow. of in terms of the stat they use which is how many times they've entered the water and that doesn't necessarily mean that they were saving somebody. It means that they're going out there and saying, hey, you know, move move over here or whatever. But they had to do that. They used two-thirds of the time um, that they did in, during their busiest year of 2021 already this year, just on that weekend. Wow. So the lifeguards are busy. There's a lot of stuff happening in the water. Yeah, and talk about the Portuguese man of wars. That, that's, um, you know, well, I don't think people think about that all the time, but that is another another concern yeah they're um they come up when there's storms to our south so when we have sustained you know southerly wind which we often do in the summertime um but what what was unique about this influx was that there was a, a storm offshore that pushed them up early in the season typically they're 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 a warmer water uh, they're not a jellyfish i'm not even going to try to pronounce what they are but they're a warmer water species. And so they come up later, August. So the, the fact that we had them popping up in late June was kind of alarming for some people. And apparently mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're they're not deadly, but you know, if you you could have a, a sensitivity to them, especially if you're the type who has a sensitivity to to a bee sting. And um, you know, they they're kind of beautiful if you see them washed up on the beach. You know, they're this, uh, you know, pearly kind of blue, purplish, lavender thing. I, I think I said in my article, it looks like a little dumpling, like a see-through mm -hmm. dumpling. Mm -hmm. But off of that dumpling, you have 30 feet of this cord that if you get hit with. I mean, one of the lifeguards said he saw <laughs> he saw somebody like pulling it off of his face and it was like an invisible cord you know, it just it's terrible um so yeah, yeah i think that's true scary. even when they wash up right chris they, uh, they're yeah, still so dangerous you, yeah they're still dangerous not that not the little dumpling part although i wouldn't even bother messing with that but the the strands break up in the surf they wash up you step on it they're they're still stinging you uh you know when they're on the beach so you don't want to approach them even on the beach you get a lifeguard they take a shovel, they get rid of them somehow, you know. So the question is, is this year worse than usual or is this just in our consciousness right now because of uh, some of the reports that we've seen? For sharks or for man of wars or just in general? All of it. I, I, is it safe? I mean, I think the beaches here are very safe and and these incidents are are fairly far between. And yeah. I, but but we focus on the negative because we hear about it, right? I well, I also think that we've got a lot more. Um, you know, I don't. You you're right to say that you think that the sharks. There's a lot of conservation. Same thing with the whales. We're seeing a lot of whales. Mm -hmm. I think because of some law change about bait fish. Um, but we're also seeing them more because they have drones and they're flying them out there. And people are like, oh, look at this stuff that's maybe 100, 200 yards offshore that we never used to know about. And now we know about it. So people are talking about it. I don't, yeah, wanna... I think you're right, Joe. It's healthier waters, too. And, and with healthier waters, I, I think it's also a little bit of, you know, climate change, too. The waters are a little warmer and you're seeing some some different species. I mean, maybe a little earlier or later. Um, I don't know if that's the case with the man of war, but. 
it certainly it certainly could have could be but yeah chris i wanted to talk when we're talking about climate change and i think that is a, a factor in all of this too and by the way i didn't want to sound like the mayor of of <laughs> Amity in yeah. Jaws. I, I think I was starting to sound a little, a little in denial there. And I should beaches, pull back. A beaches are open, Joe. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. safe here. Yeah, you did. Position, um, Chris. You you wrote an article this week about fireflies and mm-hmm. the effect of drought and I assume climate change on that as well. Talk a little bit about what what you wrote about. I wish I could say it was climate change. I think it's more that. And it kind of even goes back more to the traffic discussion. Hmm. You know, the, the three there's three problems for, for fireflies right now. It's pesticide use, habitat loss, and landscape lighting. And, oh. you know, habitat loss is a, you know, a, a problem in terms of, say, losing large swaths of forest. But microhabitats on a property, uh, say, a leaf pile, which is what these fireflies live most of their lives in a leaf pile as larva you know it's not it's not it's not beautiful or romantic but that's where they are that's what they need we see them at the very end when they're just mating and um so when people are like a friend of mine calls it ocd landscaping when they're just hyper landscaping out here which is drawing trucks out to us why so that they could blow the leaf piles off of their property and then cart them off somewhere else that is killing fireflies it's killing birds you know incidentally so that's the habitat loss bit then you get to the fear of ticks and like oh my god i got a leaf pile um and there's ticks in that leaf pile it's probably true but if you don't hang out in your leaf pile then you're probably somewhat safe but nonetheless people are everybody spraying pesticides out here that's killing fireflies because those pesticides aren't for ticks they're broad spectrum then you have landscape lighting which you know here i live in north haven i have my neighbor for some reason has lit up their mailbox it's like this glowing white thing at night it's a mailbox that you know they need they need light um, I mean, they need darkness so that they can see each other. They're sending signals like, hey, I'm over here. And then another one says, hey, I'm over here. But if in between that you have this, you know, glowing light, yeah. mailbox, you know, they're not they, seeing they, each other and they don't they, meet. They might be expecting so, a special delivery, Chris. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I could say it was climate change. I, I don't. I'm sure that has some aspect of it, but we're making decisions people out here are making decisions or their landscapers are making decisions for them that are adversely affecting the populations of these insects and by extension birds and um other things that that people like the whole that ecosystem, they're not right? they're incidentally killing yeah to be honest, i can't I wait to read your article chris yeah. I, I haven't I just, seen a firefly this year. Is anyone I just said this one? to my I, husband the other night. There are fewer fireflies out here. Yeah. I, I have them in my yard, and and I, I'd like to say that it's in, intentional that that I still have leaf piles in you know in the far <laughs> back along the fence from from, from last year. Um, you know, I'm like to say that's for the fireflies, but now that I know that uh, and it's good for the fireflies, I I think. Uh, I think we'll just leave those piles there. It goes yeah, with, you know, with the clover and the brown grass. I love it. That's my yeah. landscaping preference. Uh, it's fascinating. That's that's what the, the impact of the over manicured uh, lawns. It's yes. yet another impact of that. Um, that's fascinating. And and uh, what, how do you so, get people to care about that? Yeah, though? that's well, the problem. I guess really. it's about information, Chris. That, that getting it out to people is all about all we can do about it. Yeah, I I really I was writing the article this week and I was kind of depressed because I feel like it's the same article and keep writing over and over and over again. Yeah. And I don't know how you know Edwina Van Gaal is a landscape designer and she has this great program two two or two thirds for the birds. And she's I think so smart in trying to communicate to the landscapers themselves and and uh this idea that these guys 
are actually on the front lines of environmental conservation. Yeah. You know, like that's who we need to communicate with. And it's hard to do that. And I, I think about it all the time. How, you know, because there's an echo chamber that happens, you know, how, but how do we get out of that and communicate to the people who are actually making these decisions? And how do you change the aesthetic appeal? Like you look at all of our glossies out here, you know, and it's just like there's this product that people are buying. Um, it's how do you change the marketing, so to speak, of what a healthy landscape is. Mm -hmm. And that's a struggle. I won't argue that that um, getting the landscapers on board is crucial because I think they can provide that information to, to clients then. But ultimately, it's going to be up to changing clients' minds and, and having people be willing to embrace something that's a little bit more wild in order to, to, to keep the ecosystem healthy. And I, that, yeah. that's a yeah. tough battle. I'm sorry. Go no, go. I was going to say we should thank Bill Sutton for leading the cause. Look, yeah, that's true. The, if you want, if you, you, you could be this. You could I, be don't, the I don't, I don't like to use the word hero, Brian. But, well, I do. Uh, <laughs> but, I do. Well, I, you're I doing, think if you're, you wanted to be... arrange some tours of my backyard, <laughs> you got to wear boots because of the dogs. But if you wanted to to, to arrange some tours, that, I'd be open to that. Open house and, and garden tour thing to, to show to show what a natural yard can look like. Absolutely, okay. That's a whole I, new I, garden know, tour. It's a, for it's next a, let's face it. It's like a it's a status symbol. What it is. Chris was just yeah. saying, like you know. That big green lawn that you got to dump a lot of fertilizer that requires in a lot of watering that depletes the water, you know, the public water supply or uh, the groundwater supply, as the case may be. You know, it's all one. It's a status symbol, and try to convince the people that are into that not to do that is going to take a little more than a tour of your yard or my yard. That, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and Edwina von Gall is is doing her best, and I yeah. know there's a lot of organizations that are making an effort to do things like for pollinators. And Bill, you wrote this week about um, the pollinator garden that went in in West Hampton Beach. Uh, talk yeah. about that real quick. Mm. Well, yeah, so so I, I, it was uh, uh, just a project for the West Hampton Free Free Library. And it just goes to show you, um, you know, the, the, the how different libraries are now is from 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 when I was a kid, but they've they've actually have a little library garden next to the library, but it's kind of fenced off and and all that. So they wanted to um, they wanted to help the environment and educate the community, um, you know, about about the situation with pollinators. And you're not just talking about bees; you're talking about moths and butterflies and and bats and birds. <clears throat> and and so they. Um, they they worked with the village of West Hampton Beach to to take over a little corner of of Glover's Park. Which, by the way, if you're in West Hampton Beach or near there and you haven't been to Glover's Park, it's a little it's a little hidden treasure there. It's a really pretty park there. Um, so they just took a, a, a you know a section a, a very small corner of the park and they just planted a pollinator garden. They worked with some local landscapers that volunteered some time, um, and and they um, they. Planted a couple dozen plants, and and as as time goes by, it's going to fill out a little more and a little more. And I had asked the you know the, the the person from the library who was in charge of it if she had seen any bees there yet, and she said not yet, but uh, but they're pretty hopeful. They just planted it a, a couple weeks ago, but it's going to take it's going to take small efforts like that on a on, on a on a more frequent scale. I I think you know so the. So the library plants, plants a little pollinator garden. Maybe residents start planting little pollinator gardens. Other organizations, just wherever you can find a spot, just to, you know, just to, to keep the environment working right. You know, Joe, I wanted to mention that I'm kind of switching the subjects in a way, but it's connected to the library, is that when we did our weekly segment, you were talking about things you could borrow. Yeah, we had a story this week. I, very rarely, Just crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, I I love it when when I we we do an article that genuinely tells me something new that I was yeah. not aware of. Um, yeah. the we had a story this week uh, by Steve Coates um, about the Library of Things. This is something that local libraries are embracing, 
uh, you can rent. Bill, what are what are some of the items that you can fishing you can poles? Rent? Fishing poles you, in Southhold. You can go to the library if you're a card holder, and you can get a set of fishing poles. You can go and you can and not rent. I mean, you can borrow because it's all free. It's a library. You can go. You got to cut a. You got to do a ribbon cutting. You can go get a pair of those big ass scissors and and cut your ribbon. <laughs> That's great. Um, there was just all kinds of stuff. A telescope. Each, I know West Hampton, West Hampton Library has a telescope that you can hook in with with your smartphone, and and the smartphone will direct the telescope on on where to look for certain um certain things in in the night sky there's just all kinds of stuff it's not just uh it's not just books and videos um anymore yeah you can see the night sky i've never had libraries too if you could see the night sky yeah over the the glow of chris's neighbor's mailbox (laughs) (laughs) what i what i love about libraries is libraries Libraries evolve to sort of provide whatever services are needed in a community. And I think that's great. Um, and I think that's why they're so valuable. And I, this is something apparently it's 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 a national trend, but it's been adopted very much locally and regionally by the by the libraries. But, I, you know, it's, people need to know about it. You need to know that if your car's check engine light comes on, you can go to I believe it was the Hampton Library in Bridgehampton and borrow a, a car diagnostic tool. Who would think yeah, to go to the library wow. to, to do that? But, um, you know, that's that's the whole idea of the Library of Things. And so yeah. I thought that was and they, they really stepped up during the pandemic. All the things they were doing on Zoom, all the libraries, yeah. and they're still doing it. But it, they are. it was really it was really great. You know? It really yeah. is. They're the new community marketplace if you if you know about them and and, and you use it. And I mean, all the the different programs that are offered at the different libraries and um and it's a meeting place for a lot of different organizations and um you know i mean they've got to they've got to continue to make themselves relevant and i think they've met the challenge over over the last yeah, you know really. couple of decades is um as as sadly you know the the need for um you know books and references has gone more more digital um, you know, and they've met that challenge too. You can you can go at one of the libraries. You can go get a um, a, a a mobile Wi-Fi router and and mm. borrow it for a month. You know, you know. That's amazing. Know. Like said, at Riverhead, we had the Library of Things. That's one of the things you can borrow. You can borrow a blood pressure monitor. Right. They also mm-hmm. a few years back started a, a seed uh, catalog. So where you can you know donate seeds that you don't need and pick up seeds from other people that they've donated. And that's really a, a very useful thing because so many of these seed packages, I mean, you couldn't plant all those seeds and grow them if you like really wanted to. Um, I don't know. What so, what West West yeah. Hampton does that too. So, I was I was yeah. talking to her about it and they seed have library. the they have the 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 seed library. You can yeah. get four packets of seeds a month uh spring through through the fall. And um I, I asked her, I mean, you know, is it do people bring seeds back? And she says, well, some, but but not usually. It's mostly just, you know, taking of, of the seeds. But uh, you know, what a great, what a great service that is. Yeah. Some of the some of these items like beach chairs and things too would be great for folks who are just here temporarily. It's a reason right. to join the library and maybe to support the local library, uh, because they can they can actually help you enjoy your summer too. Yeah. So Good stuff. Um, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Bill, I wanted to talk briefly about the story we had about these uh, windmill, the historic windmill uh, at Stony Brook, Stony Brook uh, University's Southampton campus in Shinnecock Hills. It got a big red X on it this week, along with some of the other buildings on the campus. It, it did. And, and we had written, you know, weeks or months ago about a number of buildings on the campus that had been uh, condemned because they were dilapidated and 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 unsafe and um, and we found out this week that um, that uh, that the whole, as you said the historic windmill there um, they they brought in uh, state fire marshals um, for a routine inspection and um, and and they they condemned it it's just it's just unsafe um, it's joining a number of I mean the, the other buildings were were dormitories and other buildings that had gone unused but 
but the windmill has just become the focus, the symbol um, of, of the college. And it, it's just, um, it, it's maddening, I think, that um, that it would um, get to a point where where it would have to be condemned. And of course, the, you know, Stony Brook is, is put out a statement that <clears throat> they were concerned and, and will, will, you know, bring it back up to, to par. But we had a conversation with, um, with uh, State Assemblyman Fred Thiel, who, you know, who holds the, the college in, in high esteem. I think he was a, he's, he's an alum there. And he was very critical of, of the school. Um, you know, months ago when when we first wrote about, you know, buildings being condemned um, and even even more so now, he's just um, he's he's really upset. And, you know, he always gives us a good a good quote. He had he had said originally um, last winter, you know, he had called uh, Stony Brook University a slumlord and he apologized this week and said, I apologize for calling SBU a slumlord. As it turns out, that's an insult to slumlords. Um, which was uh, hopefully the quote of the week, um, you know, at, at some point. But it's 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 neglect, you know, according to him. And I mean, the 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 windmill is is so iconic and and has such a, a storied history that um, um, it just it, it, it makes you wonder about the college's commitment. I think to to the campus, doesn't it, Joe? Yeah, I think that's ultimately the message. And I think that's the message that that Fred Thiel is sending is that, uh, and as you said, he had gone when it was Southampton College. Yeah. Uh, he, he's an alum there. So he has he has real, I know there was a there was a push to try and move that windmill off of the, the college property and into Southampton Village. Fred has been vehemently opposed to that. So he's fought to keep that windmill at the college. So uh, you can understand why he's a little bit upset. Uh, about the condition of it. Um, it's something we're going to have to take a closer look at in the coming months is what the future of the college is. Of course, the plan is to build a new hospital facility on the campus at some point. And I suspect that comes into play with some of this. But uh, in the meantime, a lot of the buildings are are becoming completely dilapidated. And now the, the iconic windmill is the latest one. So... We're out of the, time. the windmill where, where I'll add Tennessee Williams um, lived in for, for a month and and, uh, and wrote a play. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's that historic. Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk, but we are out of time. I want to thank our panelists this week. That's Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Brian Cosgrove of right here at WLIWFM, and Christopher Gangemi of the East Hampton Star. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you also to Bill Sutton, my co-host. Appreciate it, Bill. Thank you, Joe. And we will be back next week, uh, as always, with another edition of Behind the Headlines. Thanks for tuning in.